the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. These days we're living in, I think they may be the last days. I know this. We're getting closer. So James is saying to those of us, we've already said we're in the category. We're rich by the world's standards. We need to be careful about how we live and what we're putting our treasure in in these days. Because these are the last days. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Jesus is coming again. That's a central tenet of the Christian faith. It has always been that way. The earliest Christ follower lived with that hope. They lived with that confidence that the same Jesus that had died for their sins was buried. Three days later arose. The same Jesus that ascended to heaven. That Jesus is coming again. So much of the New Testament is written to remind us of that reality. Let me just give you a few examples. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3 and verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 says, for they themselves report concerning to us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait, there's that word again, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The Bible is full of reminders that Jesus is coming again. And the role of the Christ follower is to live our life being prepared for the coming of Jesus. As if that were not convincing enough for you, let me remind you that the very last words of Scripture in Revelation 22 and verse 20 say this, He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus. Jesus was giving these words to John as he wrote the vision that we call the Revelation. Jesus says, Surely I'm coming soon. And so John responds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The response of Christ's followers through the ages has been that simple phrase, Even now, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Bible makes it clear, Jesus is coming again. 
The question that we have to ask and answer is, are we ready? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? We've been studying this little letter near the end of the Bible. It's called James because it was written by James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother. Same father, same mother, just not born divinely of God as Jesus. James is writing this letter to the church he pastors, the church at Jerusalem. They are scattered all around the known world because of persecution. If you were to sum up what this letter is all about, you could describe it this way. This is how faith works. This is what real Christianity looks like. It's shoe leather Christianity, practical Christianity. And as James concludes this letter, he reminds the church at Jerusalem, and thus us by extension, that which all of those writers of the New Testament remind us again and again and again. Jesus is coming again. So you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. That's what he's going to talk about. We're going to break down chapter 5 over these next three weeks. But before we begin to break it down today, let's pray together once more. Holy God, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather in your presence today, knowing that you are with us. Jesus, we praise you. We celebrate that we can come to this place because you did come. You did die for our sins. You were buried and rose again, defeating not only death, but showing that you're the victor of life as well. And then you ascended to heaven. And with that ascension, you gave us this promise, I'll be back. Thank you, Jesus. We look forward to your coming again. We want to be ready. We want to be prepared. We want to live our lives in a way that honors you and makes us ready for that moment. So, Lord, in this moment, teach us what we do not know. Give us what we do not have. Make us what we've not yet become so that we will be ready. Lord, it's easy to look at the events of our world and acknowledge we're living in the last days. So, Lord, the clock is ticking. The moment is drawing nigh. Make us ready for your glory. And, Lord, in these few minutes, I pray that the words I say and and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you because you're my strength. You're my redeemer. You're the one I want to get ready for. So don't let me get in the way. Strip me of pride. Humble me, Lord, so that then you might use me and speak through me. Lord, the greatest use of this time would be that someone enters from death to life, that someone takes that most important step of getting ready by beginning to follow you, repenting of their sins. Lord, may that be so for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your copy of God's word, turn with me, James chapter 5, verse 1. James says, come now. That sounds familiar. It's the same phrase he used in chapter 4 in verse 13. It's like he's saying, come on close, gather in and listen. Sometime as a parent, we'll say to a child, just sit right here on my lap because I want you to, or look in my face because I need you to hear me. That's what he's doing. In chapter 4, he was saying, come on up here and listen because I want to ask you, who is the God of your schedule? Who's determining? Because you're going around and saying, today and tomorrow, I'm going to do this and that, that. And I'm saying to you, you need to say, if the Lord wills, because he is God. Chapter 4, he's asking, who is God of your schedule? In chapter 5, he's asking, who's the God of your stuff? And so he continues in verse 1. He says, come now, you rich. 
and I could hear it. You might not have heard it, but I heard it. It was, it was a click. It, it was a slow dialing back of the knob. Some of you just tuned out. You turned me off because you heard that word rich, and either you thought, well, that does not relate to me, or you thought, here we go again. I'm at church, and they're talking about money. What was James saying here when he said, come now, you rich? Let's, let's first answer this question. Are, are you rich? Well, it depends on your context, doesn't it? Let me just give you some facts. According to the World Wide Web, which can never be wrong, of course, the median income of Hillsborough County is currently $58,480. Now, some of you say are saying, I am not median then. You're way below that. Some of you are saying, thank you, Jesus, I'm not medium, because you're way above that. But that's the statistics of Hillsborough County, $58,480. If you spread out to the whole U.S., even on one morning, you can get two different figures. So let me give you both. One site says that the current median income in the U.S. is $43,585. So lower than Hillsborough County. Another says it's $61,937, a little more than Hillsborough County. Either way, that gives you a rough idea of the median family income or household income here in the United States of America. How does that compare with other countries? Uh, Let's go with that number of 43,585. Did you know the median income right now in Iran is $12,046? In Ecuador, where we have mission partners, where I was just last fall training pastors, the median household income for a year, $6,858. How about Haiti, our neighbor to the south? My friend calls it too close to ignore. The median household income in Haiti, where we have a number of members from, $2,735. One of my best friends in life is Pastor Zach. He came here to become a part of this country from the country of Niger. Did you know the median household income for a family in Niger is $2,708? We have church members from Togo. In Togo, the median family income of a household, $571. So let me ask that question again. Are you rich? See, every one of us here, uh, by the world standards, are, are rich. And so when we come to a passage like this, we might ought to say, wow, he's probably speaking to me. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. There are always going to be people that have more than you have. There are always going to be people that have less than you have. There's an interesting site I found on the Internet. It, it 
helps you determine how rich you are. So let's look at some of those figures I just gave you. Let's assume that household income in the U.S. is median of $43,585. Did you know that if that's your household income, you are in the richest 12.6% of people? So that would be a, a couple of you in a household, maybe that have full-time jobs, even in the fast food industry. Make an inch toward that. Maybe a teacher and a part-time job in a service industry, $48,000. Well, what if your household income is double that? What if it's $86,000? You're then richer than 95.8% of the people in the world, $86,000. Many in our church would have the household income of that. What if you double that? We would consider that more of the top end, right, in our culture. What if you double that? Your household income is $172,000. You're in the richest 1% of the people in the world. So you think about Bill Gates or you think about Jeff Bezos. No, no, no. That's you, the 1%. So I ask you again, are you rich? This isn't really about wealth. It's about the control of your wealth. It's about whether or not your wealth is controlling you. See, that's a question we all have to ask and answer. Am I holding on to my money or is my money holding on to me? And your your wealth, your money can hold on to you regardless of what's in your bank account, regardless of how much you have saved, regardless of your earning potential. You can be rich and controlled by money and you can be poor and controlled by money. So what James has to say is very relevant. Look again at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure. When? In the last days. See, I told you, he's preparing us for the last days. James is reminding us that if you're a Christ follower, that's who this is written to. If you're a Christ follower, you had better live as if you're living in the last days. We just moved my mom here. She lives in Tampa now all of my life. She's told me, I believe Jesus is coming back while I'm alive. All of her life, I've thought, I don't know about that, mom. I've even told her sometimes, hey, so did the apostle Paul. But these days we're living in, I think they may be the last days. I know this, we're getting closer. So James is saying to those of us, we've already said we're in the category, we're rich by the world standards. We need to be careful about how we live and what we're putting our treasure in in these days because these are the last days. Paul describes the last days to Timothy. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Timothy. But understand this, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Raise your hand if you think this is a time of difficulty. Yep, me too. Let's go on to verse two. For people will be lovers of self. Hey, raise your hand if you've ever taken a selfie. Well, I'm in that category. Well, that may be judgmental, but are people lovers of self? Yeah. They're lovers of money. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're abusive. They're disobedient to their parents. They're ungrateful. They're unholy. They're heartless. They're unappeasable. They're slanderous without self-control, but, but not loving good. They're brutal. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're swollen with conceit. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Think that fits today? 
They have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. And Paul says to Timothy, in the last days, avoid those people. Now, I have to tell you, we're living in a days where that describes a lot of people, even who gather in church. Maybe it's that form of godliness, but denying the power. How are you preparing for the last days? That's what I want to talk about. Let me tell you some of what James is saying. First, he says, as you prepare, be careful, because money makes a dangerous master. Money makes a dangerous master. In 1923, a number of men gathered in the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. According to history, some of the world's richest men were in this room. Men like Charles Schwab. He was president of the largest independent steel company. Richard Whitney. He was president of the New York Stock Exchange. Albert Fall, a member of President Hoover's cabinet. Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear on Wall Street. Ivar Kruger, financier and head of the world's greatest monopoly. It's said that the men gathered in the room that day had more wealth than all the wealth of the United States Treasury. And yet, if you fast forward just 25 years, Charles Schwab died. He was bankrupt, $300,000 in debt, 1939. Whitney, well, he served time in Sing Sing prison for embezzlement. Fall, well, he was in prison because of his use of financial misconduct in office. Livermore committed suicide in 1940 because he considered himself a failure. And Kruger shot himself in 1932 after his monopoly collapsed. Money can be dangerous. I think that's why Paul would say, to young Timothy in First Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now that verse has been misquoted a lot throughout history. A lot of people think it says the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and they think that that just means that money is the root of all evil. There's two common misconceptions. Some people live as if money is the solution to all of life's problems. That's false. But other people live as if money is the source of all of life's problems. That's also false. Money's not the solution. Money's not the source. But if you live your life controlled by money, all sorts of problems come into your life. That's what Paul was saying. So be careful, he says. Money can make a dangerous master. As you prepare, be careful because money makes a dangerous master. But as you prepare, James goes on to say, be careful because money is a deceitful master. It, It makes you think it can do things it cannot do. Look again at James chapter 5 and verse 2. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. How, How does money deceive you? Well, first, it can deceive you into thinking only about tomorrow. So if you think only about tomorrow, number one, you probably live your life in worry, and God's word commands you not to worry. But number two, you probably are hoarding what you have. So, so that's what James was saying. You think you're preparing for the last days by storing up for yourself treasure? That's not going to do it. Some of us are old enough to remember when we, we transitioned into the new millennia, into the year 2000. It was a crazy time. I went to Israel for the first time just before that, and, and they were selling watches, but the watches did not uh, tell time. They just counted down time until uh, J- January 31st, uh, 1999, because remember, we didn't know what was going to happen. Are all the computers going to stop? Is, is everything that was electric going to stop? Or are we going to have no food? And, and so people stored up food, and they, they stored up treasure. James is saying, that's not real smart. You're focused on tomorrow and it's keeping you from something you need to understand. He's saying everything you see is temporal. You realize that? Everything you can touch is going to end up one of two places. The garbage can or a garage sale. It's temporal. And James is trying to teach us an important spiritual lesson. And that lesson is that when an eternal soul, when an eternal soul seeks satisfaction from temporal stuff, it will always be left wanting. You were created for eternity. The Bible tells us that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And and when you, an eternal soul, tries to find your satisfaction in the temporal, you're always going to be left wanting. That's deception. It's not going to happen. We're deceived into thinking not only just about tomorrow. We can be deceived into thinking only about today. If I'm thinking only about today, then my mentality is self-indulgence. I've got to have it now. All you have to do is look at our media to see how we're overwhelmed with this. If you think about the major sources of media in your life, whether it's TV, it's that cell phone that's in your hand or that tablet or, or, or whether it's the radio or XM or whatever you're receiving your information from, we're told that the average person today sees, listen to this, 360 ads a day. There are 360 advertisements that come into your life, whether it's on Facebook or, or, or whether it's on some other internet site or whether it's on the TV or the, what you listen to. Now, that's 360 times a day, and there's 365 days in a year. That's 131,400 times every year somebody is telling you, you've got to have this. If you want to sleep right, you better get my pillow and my sheets, and my mattress cover, and that car you drive, oh, it's not near as nice as this car. You need it. You deserve it. And you need it right now. 
James is saying that's deceiving you as well. Because when a created being seeks satisfaction from other created things, rather than the creator, she will always be left wanting. We are the creatures. And yet rather than turning to our creator, too many of us are seeking satisfaction in that which will never ever satisfies. I think Jesus is challenging us to remember we can't take it with us, right? But we can send it ahead. We can invest in ways that makes a difference for eternity. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.